The Responsible Investing Podcast by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Hello, you are listening to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast, discussing all things relating to responsible investment. I am Amanda Young. My guest today is Holly Mackay, the founder and managing director of Boring Money, an organization that helps people make better choices with their investments and their pensions. Now, Boring Money's weekly blog has around 12,000 subscribers, and last year, nearly half a million people visited their site. There's an increasing interest from their readers in sustainable investments, and this is an area Holly plans to enhance and develop this year, so this is something we will touch on later. Holly read modern languages at Oxford, specialising in medieval French, which obviously made her immediately highly employable, as she says in her own words. So instead, she went backpacking in Australia. She worked in TV for a while and then decided that TV was boring, but the stock market was awesomely interesting. Now, Holly has worked in finance since 1999. She's held senior roles at Merrill Lynch, Aviva and Santander before setting up her first business, The Platform, in 2008. She sold this to Centaur Media and left in 2014, launching Boring Money in July 2015. Now, it is a really good thing that Holly likes words and stories as her passion is turning financial gobbledygook into real speak to try and help people without PhDs in finance to make sensible decisions with the minimum pain. She passionately believes that we can explain things better and that investments shouldn't be just for the old boys. Holly is a regular media commentator and has appeared on or contributed to the BBC the Times, The Telegraph and The Mail on Sunday. She is living proof that you can be in set four for maths when you're 13 and still get your head around investments. Outside her day job, she is a mum to two kids, a fussy cat called Mog and a dog called Ruffy. She has a thing for red shoes, which is a good thing in my view, is a happy and bad surfer and has a passion for India. She cheerfully eats sugar, drinks coffee and likes wine. And a particular fun fact for someone like me who lives in Edinburgh. She was a stand-up comedy show at the Edinburgh Festival years back and appeared on the stage with Sue Perkins. So welcome, Holly Mackay. Hi, Amanda. Good to be here. Now, Holly, you have clearly found your feet in a world where most people are very good with numbers and shockingly awful with words. You brilliantly describe Boring Money as the financial love child between TripAdvisor, the voice of the consumer, and which that trusted independent reviewer. So clearly your aim is to help people make better choices with their money. So perhaps we can start with hearing a little bit more about Boring Money and what you're trying to achieve. I think in terms of why did I set up Boring Money, a pivotal moment for me was in back in 2010, And I just had my second child and was in that sort of fog of of sleep deprivation and nappies. And and something came through the the letterbox and it was back in the days when we had child trust funds. And I'll never forget it. It was this sort of 80 page long document telling me as a new parent what my choices were for the child trust funds. And I remember reading through it and just thinking, I don't know what they're on about. And it was just this sort of sea of meaningless 
words and then it was pre-WhatsApp groups but the sort of my texts <laughs> on my mobile phone from the sort of NCT group was sort of going nuts with everyone going have you got this pack what does it mean who wrote it what are they talking about and these kind of intelligent women were absolutely sort of baffled and 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 I have to say I, I wasn't sort of feeling much the wiser and at that moment I just went my goodness you know this there was never a more obvious disconnect to me Amanda between the people writing this stuff and the people on the receiving end of, of this information. Yeah. And that really sowed the seed for me. Um, I was still working on my first business, which I'd just sold at the time and, and had a three-year earn out to complete there. But once mm -hmm. I was sort of free to move on, you know, that was for me the thing I really felt was the challenge. And, you know, I, I grew up with a very sort of tough, ambitious cool mum and she sort of said to me always you know Holly any idiot can criticize things it's easy to criticize don't criticize if you don't like something get off your backside and do a better job of it so I was like right I want to go out there and try and create a business which helps people to a understand this investment stuff and then yep. b to have the confidence to actually act on it and choose and move forward. So that that's a bit about why um, I set up Boring Money and what drives me. And I think that absolutely leads us on to the next question, which is about sustainable investing. You know, sustainable investing again, it's driven by people who want to see change instead of sitting moaning about it, they want to achieve a difference. So specifically on the topic of uh, sustainable investing, you describe your readers as being in various tribes. I'd love to hear what you mean by this. Yeah, I think for me, it's just tribes is a sort of slightly more interesting way of describing it than talking about consumer segmentation, which seems a bit, bit dry. <laughs> but um. I mean, really, how, how do we notice trends at Boring Money? The lovely thing about having a blog, which is well read by, by thousands of people, is people then respond to it or people email me or, or kind of send in questions. So kind of my inbox, Amanda, is like a sort of live uh, kind of consumer research tool in a way because I, I can sort of sense what people are asking me. And yep. last year, well, probably back in 2019 was really when I started to notice, you know, more than a few emails coming in from people asking me um, about sustainable investing, or they use sort of multiple adjectives to describe it, but, but essentially sort of some sort of ESG type investments. And this just accelerated um, over the course of 2020. And so we mm -hmm. went out and did some research with um, a nationally representative group of uh, about 3,000 people and focused in as well with some follow-up research on people who are investors today. And we right. asked them about what they prioritize and what they, they care about. Now, I'm happy to talk a bit about how that's changed over the course of the last six months. But broadly speaking, we know that the majority of people still invest primarily for returns. That is their yep. sort of number one driver. But actually last year, one in four investors said, actually, you know what? I put sustainability above just simple sort of return. So that for me is, is, is a sort of priority for me. And one in four, I thought that was quite high. That's um, very high. Um, and, well, and I'm, I'm yeah. quite interested in your view as to whether they, uh, the, the shift between thinking that financial returns could be hurt if you invest sustainability has changed. It has changed a little bit. And I think when we first started to, to look at this market in 2018, 
18, there was that definite sort of um, connection in people's brains. They thought they had to sacrifice something. It meant giving um, up things. I think, right. of course, when you look at sort of what happened in, in, in markets across sort of 2020, that amongst more savvy investors, that view has dissipated greatly mm-hmm. and almost to the point of it not being such a factor. Uh, when we look at cash savers, however, um, there is still that sort of sense that it means sacrificing things. It means right. being a goody-goody in inverted commas and sort <laughs> of putting, um, saving the world as uh, above your, your own returns. But it's certainly not such a sort of key um thought as as used to be. Interestingly, Amanda, we also did research with financial advisors and we Mm -hmm. found financial advisors were more likely than what I would call sophisticated DIY investors. Financial advisors were more likely to think that it meant giving up um, returns than the more sophisticated DIY investors, which was interesting. I have seen that myself. Now, you very kindly said you'd, you'd touch on what sustainability issues are interesting to your, um, to your readers. And perhaps you want to do that and, and give us a sense of how you think that this has shifted over the past 12 months. You've already touched a little bit on um, changing perception of returns being sacrificed uh, since COVID and, and some of the other issues. But perhaps you can touch a little bit on the issues and, and what you think has changed in the last 12 months. Sure. I mean, a key driver is people who would want what we in the industry would call thematic funds and and green funds or or, or sort of carbon neutral funds. There's a there's a cohort of people we call the eco warriors who prioritise sustainability over financial returns and who are very very focused. Um, on protecting the environment. And when we did our research last in January um, this year and went out to people, we found about 4% of people would go in that kind of eco-warriors group of people who prioritise sustainability and are all about green. There's a broader group of people we call the future focus tribe. Now, they're interesting. They're interested in a broader range of what we call ESG issues. So for them, it isn't just the environment. There's also social elements. And actually, one thing we did see last year is with stories about groups like Boohoo and Sir Philip Green and Amazon sort of in the news, definitely the sort of S component part of ESG um, became more prevalent in the consumer psyche and more people making a connection about sort of investing and backing companies that had um, a more responsible social agenda. So more prevalent amongst consumers than the pure eco-warriors, Amanda, is people who are interested more generically in sustainability and, and a broader range of ESG issues. Now, one thing we've seen, and this research is very fresh back and we're still analysing it, it's from January 2021, yep. we have seen a statistically very notable shift since we did this research last in August last year. And the shift we have seen is the people who say to us, forget anything to do with sustainability. I invest for one thing only, and that is pure returns. That is all I care about. Now, in August last year, 9% of investors put themselves in in that group. When we did it in January, it was 23% of investors. And more broadly, we've seen in the research, there's been an apparent sort of 
cooling off on on the prioritization of sustainable investing. And I think if we look at that in line with some of the qualitative research we've done, people are worried, the economic, uh, they're very pessimistic about the outlook, particularly for the UK economy. People are worried about job security. And so I think people's boundaries and sort of parameters have become smaller and people are focusing on getting from one day to the next and that sort of financial um, concern. So I think it's it's quite interesting to me and, and possibly not altogether unexpected that I think we've got this sort of short-term shift from people saying, when I feel financially secure, I'm much more able to think long-term and to think about sustainability. Um, when I'm feeling under threat and, and the world is so messed up as it is today, <laughs> I see that as a bit of a luxury. And actually, I'm much more worried about doing anything I can to keep my financial situation yeah. afloat. So, well, I think then we have a job uh, to do to make sure that those people are educated, that they can still invest sustainably without sacrificing uh, their financial returns. Yeah, absolutely. Now, stock markets are no longer the preserve of a handful of wealthy people, but rather they are there to help the ordinary person to save for their retirement. Now, anyone who knows me knows I am absolutely passionate about reminding people that we as an industry are there to support the end investor. Many pension fund trustees, investment managers and other players in the industry tend to forget that they are custodians of the person on the street's money. What's your view on this and what changes would you like to see from the investment industry to address this? Yeah, Amanda, I think for me, it's one of the most disappointing parts of the industry that if you ask the majority of fund managers when they're not on the record who they serve, and I'm thinking more from a retail sort of perspective here, their customer, their client is the financial advisor. And although there is lip service paid at conferences or wherever that, that they care about the end investor, this industry doesn't know its end investor. And if you think, I just find it astonishing, if you look at the stock market across 2020, all the groups that flourished and did very well are groups that are very close to the consumer and absolutely live and die by understanding what their customers think and feed back to them. And this sort of lazy thinking in asset management that that somehow the, the end investor is not the customer is, is something we need to overcome. Now, I also think these days that the very concept of distribution channels doesn't doesn't make sense and doesn't reflect the world we live in. And I'll, I'll give no. you an example. I write a blog every week to about 12,000 mm-hmm. people. That would be classified as D to C because of, of how I send the blog out and who reads it. Yeah. But I got an email a couple of weeks ago from a guy who had read my blog, which was about sustainable investing actually that week. And he was a pension trustee of a very large firm. Um, and they were meeting the following week to talk about, um, you know, some of these issues and and how they change their investment strategy. And he'd forwarded my blog on to all the other trustees on this particular board. And I talked about some some products and called out the good and and critiqued the bad. So I just think increasingly, you know, we have to acknowledge that even in institutional land, the, the people making the decisions are consumers. They like good stories. They enjoy clarity. And if we forget that and start to think that we have to somehow write different content for different audiences, that 
baffles me because good content isn't dumbed down. It isn't patronising no. and it's very clear. And, and one thing I'll, I'll end on, which might lead to another question, Amanda, is the fund management industry on sustainability, it has to get better at giving examples. And I appreciate yes. that's difficult yeah. and it makes asset managers squirm. And can you kind of, it's easy to say, because we did A, B happened. I appreciate it's difficult. Appreciate fund managers don't want to upset anyone, but we have to get off the fence and start giving tangible, interesting, measurable stories that articulate what groups are doing beyond vaguely mumbling, you know, ESG's been our DNA since 1066, which yeah. everyone says. I'll get no, my box now. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you're absolutely right. We've got to a point in the industry where we need to prove uh, what we say. It's not it's not good enough just to say we do things, but we need to show and demonstrate through um, our actual investment convictions. So I'm, I'm entirely supportive of those comments. Um, now, I ask each of my guests for a bit of inspiration for our listeners. Um, this is normally a book or film that they can recommend. Holly, what's particularly inspired you um, and your interest in sustainability? Um, I have two responses to that, one more cerebral than the other. The first one is because I've got young kids, Amanda, it's probably a very dull answer, but it is Sir David Attenborough. And for me, there's one clip in one of his programmes. It's him standing there with, with the last two female northern white rhinos. Yeah. And it's so poignant just to see that lovely, venerable, astonishing old man at the end of his, you know, trajectory, that's a very posh way of saying life, um, with those <laughs> amazing animals. And it is irreversible. And and so for me, and, and the impact, when I see the impact it's had on my kids and how they, some of the questions they ask me about why we do things, why do grown-ups behave that way that I can't answer. Another thing I'll sort of add, possibly in the more cerebral camp, is when I hear Mark Carney talk mm -hmm. about sustainable finance, you know, Amanda, increasingly when I look at the world, and I think this is a sign of aging, is is you suddenly realise that there's no grown-ups in charge, the lunatics are running the asylum. I think Mark <laughs> Carney is the only figure of sort of authority that I feel in safe hands with. And possibly, I have to make a confession here, he's a bit of a silver fox, so there's possibly something else going on there, Amanda. Uh, no, but, but I he, think he has been, a, he's been at the forefront of driving climate change as a financial risk in investments. And uh, we have to give him massive credibility, uh, you know, credit for that, because it's, it's, he was ahead of the rest of the industry in this. And and he taught when he you see he's a really good example of someone that's got a, a brain the size of a planet, but when he talks about it, he's very clear, very succinct, yeah. and actually really interesting. And he doesn't dumb things down, but he gets his point across so well. So Holly, we are nearing the end of our time together today. Perhaps I can have just one last question: Where next? What are the things we should be watching out for in the next few years? I think it, you know, what's really interesting to see, an area that's really interesting to me is to think about workplace pensions, actually. And when is the pendulum going to sort of shift there where more sort of groups are put under pressure by their employees to make commitments and to sort of change, to change what they are doing as a company with their employees' money? And I think this, for me, 
You see, I used to work in the Aussie market and one thing I saw there is superannuation was meaningful and, and it wasn't unusual for people to have the equivalent of a year's salary or more in their pension pot. And at that point, Amanda, something sort of clicks and people go, hang on, this is this is meaningful. This isn't sort of opaque, weird money in some pension. I, I can't see. This is my money. And I think that combined with the growing awareness from people about sustainable investing has the potential to change, A, how people see investing, because sustainable investing makes it very tangible to people and they can have conversations about things they actually understand and can see and can can conceptualize. Um, Combine that sort of sense of empowerment with people starting to care about these increasingly meaningful pots of money. And I think you'll see a groundswell of a movement where people will just say, I demand to know what you're doing with my money and demand better. And for me, you know, the, the potential there to engage a whole new generation of people with investing and to change the focus where people suddenly go investing it's cool. It's a way of kind of using <laughs> our money and our capital to back innovation and to back growth. And I just yeah. think the potential for that to be a bit of a game changer is terribly exciting. I couldn't agree with you. So Holly, that's been brilliant. Many thanks for being our guest on the Responsible Investing Podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on board. No, it's lovely to chat. Thanks, Amanda. Now you've been listening to the Aberdeen Standard Investments Responsible Investing Podcast, aiming to bring you insights into all things responsible investment. To those who have tuned in, be it your first time or regularly, thank you very much for listening. You can find all of our previous podcasts on our website. Until our next podcast, goodbye for now. Thank you for listening to the Responsible Investing Podcast, brought to you by Aberdeen Standard Investments. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more great content, visit AberdeenStandard.com. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for information purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein, and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication, and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen Standard Investments. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns. Return projections are estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.